This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to The Sound with Amy Dunphy. Now, tonight in the United States, at 8 o'clock, Joe Biden will address the American people. It's the prime time slot. It will be, of course, to address them about what happened or what is happening in the Middle East. And it is the result of a terrorist atrocity which was committed by Hamas on October 7th, Saturday morning. The latest figures show and figures in, are not always entirely reliable in this conflict at the moment, that 1,400 Israelis were slaughtered by Hamas. That has triggered the most dark days since, well, a very long time, and the threat of war is real. Joe Biden was about to get on the plane to Israel when news broke of a strike on a hospital in Gaza City. Up to 500 men, women, and many children were slaughtered in that strike. There is no definitive evidence that I know of, but I'll just ask my guest, Niall Stanich, about that. Niall is, of course, associate editor of The Hill newspaper in Washington and White House columnist for The Hill. Niall, the United States have said in a very unfortunate phrase, when he was in Israel with Netanyahu, the prime minister, he said, it looks like it was the other team, God forgive him, describing it in football terms, that did this, committed this atrocity. The Americans say they think it was a Islamic Jihad group that fired the rocket which malfunctioned There is not, as far as we know at this moment, no definitive answer, which is surprising, really, when you consider all the satellites that's up there and all the means of of establishing it. Are you any closer in the United States to a definitive answer? No, I don't think we are, Eamon, and I think it is 
important to do what you have just done there, which is to admit the things that we do not know. What we do know is that the President of the United States uh, has said that he believes it to have uh, been from the uh, Palestinian side. And you've laid out. We think it's the other team that are responsible. That's right. That's right. Uh, Not uh, a great choice of words. I I would um, surmise that he wanted to avoid getting into a distinction between Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad and all of that, but still a very unfortunate uh, form of words, given the uh, horror that uh, occurred at that site. Um, It is, I think, notable that on Air Force One on the way to Israel, the uh, spokesperson for the National Security Council here, John Kirby, was given a number of chances to say whether he believed the Israelis, and uh, he didn't really take those opportunities. He was uh, very circumspect. However, President Biden has been more uh, forthright, but we have not really seen, uh, to my mind at least, um, public evidence that is absolutely uh, dispositive one way or another. Yes, and that that atrocity took place while Joe Biden was about to board a plane for Israel, placed his trip in some jeopardy, to put it mildly. However, he got on the plane, he arrived in Israel, I believe he spent in total eight hours there, But there was another factor that he would have had to take into account, and I'm sure did, as many Americans would have. Would the Israelis launch their promised ground attack and invasion of Gaza while Biden was in the country, which would have been another disastrous diplomatic misstep by the American president? Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, it's always tricky talking about these things, human, because a ground offensive could begin any time. And maybe as I speak to you now, it has not begun. It's quite possible it will have begun by the time people are, are listening to this. But the point is that while Biden was there, there was, I think, at least a perception that it would encourage some, and I want to be careful here, some measure of restraint uh, in relation to a ground offensive. Now, I'm well aware that people, particularly people who are sympathetic to the Palestinian cause, will sort of roll their eyes at mention of the word restraint, given that the Palestinian death toll is around about 3,000, I think higher than 3,000 now. It's higher than 3,000 now. It's up around approaching 4,000. These are airstrikes Mm. on civilians. And Mm. the food, fuel, and electricity required for hospitals and sick people and citizens. Water, of course, being hugely important. They're being forced to drink toilet water. The Israelis have not released that. Biden's trip notwithstanding, they neither have they opened the gates in southern Gaza, where they urged Gazans to go to be safe. These gates let them into Egypt, but of course Egypt has a problem they can't take refugees. So there are 2.2 million people without water, electricity, and fuel, and life. One can only imagine what it's like whilst being bombarded from the air, and this accounts for the high death toll. We know 1,400 Jewish people died on that October the 7th attack. But today, standing next to the British Prime Minister Sunak, Netanyahu said that this was Israel's blackest day, 
that's the phrase he used, and he said it was the world's darkest day and the worst since the Holocaust. That's his assessment of the situation. So we don't know what's to come. What we do know, though, Niall, and you sent me a very interesting statistics, is that a public opinion in the United States, which is the principal backer of Israel, has significantly changed since that October the 7th Hamas attack. Yes, it has. Now, to be clear from the outset, public opinion in the United States as a default is typically much more pro-Israel in that conflict, certainly compared to Ireland, where I think a, a great number of people have greater sympathy for the Palestinians. Um, there has been polling data about this, of course, as there is polling data about everything. And a couple of polls really illustrate the point. One uh, asked uh, a Yahoo, uh, YouGov poll, asked people about which side they had more sympathy with. And uh, 43% uh, said Israel as as against uh, nine for the Palestinians. Um, that was uh, a far greater gap than it had been the last time that polling company had tested it in 2021. And um, similarly, there was a separate poll that sort of broke down the, the findings by various groupings, but among the overall population. Yeah, there were 48% of Americans had more sympathy with the Israelis and just 10% uh, for the Palestinians. So I think uh, that marks out just how different the public perception and the public dynamics are around uh, this issue, not only in terms of the events of the past couple of weeks, Eamon, but in terms of the whole fundamental differences in the way the conflict is viewed here. Yes, and on the broader front, bearing in mind the presidential election next year, Biden's polling, there's an Economist YouGov poll taken in the last 48 hours, which show 19% of Americans have a very favorable view of President Biden, 23% have a somewhat favorable view of him, 10% have a somewhat unfavorable view of him, and 42% have a very unfavorable view of their president. Only 5% don't know. That's pretty ominous mm. for a sitting president who has given unqualified support in public, although we, one, one imagines he has urged proportionality on the Israeli government, as indeed Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, who went to Israel, left Israel to go around the Arab world and then had to come back to Israel, but doesn't seem to have had much joy. But those polling figures in an election season, which has, has begun, really, would worry Joe Biden. They would, certainly. And if anything, Biden's polling figures are getting worse. There was some um, uh, sort of... Uh, excitement, I suppose, in democratic circles a while ago when the Biden campaign announced the launch of a big advertising spend aimed at shoring up his numbers. That doesn't seem to have worked at all. Um, in the addition to the 
figures that you just cited, Eamon. There were uh, polls released just uh, this morning from several key um, battleground states, uh, most of which had been won narrowly by President Biden yes. in 2020. Uh, and in virtually all of those, uh, Donald Trump is leading a hypothetical matchup by four points in Arizona, by five points in Georgia, by one point in Pennsylvania, by two points in Wisconsin. So, uh, I mean, the bottom line, and this is, I think, separate from the Israel-Palestinian conflict and Biden's handling of it, the bottom line electorally is if there were an election tomorrow, it seems strongly likely that Donald Trump would win it. Yes, and we should also say that in the last few hours, both the United States and Germany have urged their citizens to leave the Lebanon. And a second front there is open, but not in any catastrophic way, but there is exchanges between Hezbollah and the Israelis in the north, where, of course, the border with Lebanon is. And this is one of the probable dangers if there's any significant escalation of this. And it does seem to be inevitable, doesn't it? That And there's footage from the last couple of hours of the Israeli defense minister telling his troops, soon you will be in Gaza. So they're going in, it appears, they have not delivered on what we assume to have been promises that there would be food and electricity and water given to the 2.2 million people who are there and who are not Hamas. But they're going in, it, it does appear, and that's going to change the picture dramatically in many, many ways. I wonder what your feeling about Biden's address tonight is. And it's obviously very important. He caught a kind of forlorn figure, I thought, when he arrived in Tel Aviv to meet what he described earlier this week as his 40-year friend, Bibi. This is Netanyahu and certainly didn't look either in control or in command situation or very presidential. I mean, that is a personal view, but I wonder what Americans made of it. I think one of the main problems with it, and it gets back to a topic that you and I have discussed in other contexts before, is that it was one of those occasions when, to my eyes, Biden looked very old. Um, there was not much energy or or passion to his speeches, in my view. Uh, they were rather halting and rather unimposing, in my opinion. Now, you, there's then the policy matter, and as I say, the, the broad population here is uh, more in sympathy with Israel, especially in the wake of that horrendous Hamas attack. If the conflict broadens, that's sort of a nightmare scenario for the United States. Uh, Hezbollah, as you mentioned, is strong in Lebanon, particularly in southern Lebanon, abutting the border. Iran is, of course, a sponsor of both Hamas and Hezbollah. The Iranian foreign minister, uh, I think three or four days ago, talked about the opening of new fronts, which yes. people, I think, generally took to be an allusion to Lebanon. And uh, all you put all that together, and it's very, very troubling. Two other points I'd make quickly, Eamon. You mentioned, I think, like the sense of chaos or the sense of disorder. I suspect that that is 
perhaps the single most damaging thing to Biden domestically yeah. is simply the the idea of a world sort of spinning out of control. Yes. And even though he is, you know, seasoned and knows these people and all the rest of it, the, the generally speaking, for any political leader, when you get caught seeming to react to events rather than influence events, that's bad. Um, the other point uh, in terms of the speech, the primetime address that he's giving uh, Thursday night here in, in Washington, is that it is also an attempt to link a supplemental aid to the Israelis and aid to Ukraine and aid to Taiwan, for that matter, in a $100 billion ask we expect that to be the case anyway, uh, of Congress to sort of fund uh, those sides to that extent. Ten billion of that money is expected to be earmarked for Israel. Uh, United States aid to Israel is about three billion a year ordinarily. So we're talking about a very uh, substantial amount of money. But as a political matter, the war in Ukraine is becoming less popular here, particularly with Republicans. The effort by Biden is clearly to link Israel and Ukraine because the vast majority of American politicians won't want to vote against aid for Israel, and if it's a both or none, they'd more likely go for both. Yes, and I mean, the snub by the four, or three or four, but one of the points was he was going to meet Netanyahu, and then he was going to meet the King of Jordan, al-Sisi, the president of Egypt, and Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority. They all snubbed him. They said they wouldn't meet him. I mean, that's in my memory, an unprecedented snub for a United States president. Yeah, and it's interesting that the the White House uh, suggested that that was a mutual decision after there had been reports, which I think emanated from media in the Middle East, that it was King Abdullah who had uh, pulled the plug. Now, Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, had publicly announced that he would not uh, go through with it in the wake of that horrific explosion at the yes. hospital. Abbas was noting that he was returning for the period of mourning for the many victims yes, of that blast. three-day period, yes. That's correct, yes. But after that happened, and given the uh, outrage in much of the Arab world about what happened at that hospital, uh, that was the end of that idea of a summit in a man with Biden and those three leaders. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Yesterday, a picture was published of Vladimir Putin and President Xi, the Russian and Chinese leaders, sharing a warm handshake and broad smiles. Putin is in Beijing. That's not surprising, is it? This is really for the wider world, particularly here in Ireland and elsewhere in Europe, maybe. This is the United States really being at the same time humbled and belittled and also supporting something that is deeply repugnant to our human instincts. There are a couple of points uh, about that. I mean, the, the, the reason I think that Putin and Xi are happy is because of a whole lot of American yes. dysfunction, really. Yes. And, you know, they, I think, pretty clearly take the view that their um, more authoritarian ways of governing the yes. masses are actually more effective because you just, uh, you know, you, you dictate literally what's going, to, what's going to happen. So they would obviously be happy when the United States uh, is in any way uh, injured, either by self-injury in terms of its own political dysfunction or, uh, you know, in in other ways. Um, I I mean, this, I think, goes to the bigger point that we have discussed on this podcast before about the, the worry about American decline and about the American political system seizing up in some way. I mean, whether setting aside for one second whether one agrees or disagrees with the aid to Israel. The House of Representatives here, as you know, has no speaker, at least as I uh, speak with you right now, no permanent speaker at least, which stops it from passing any of these packages and stops it from doing pretty much anything else. Those kind of elements of uh, just logjam in the system, I think, uh, do hurt America's stature. We can debate one way or another to what extent they hurt it, but it certainly gives a boost to people like Mr. Putin and Mr. Xi. Yes, and clearly American democracy isn't working very well because the House has no speaker and therefore can pass no legislation Mm. and is paralyzed, really. Jim Jordan, who believes that Joe Biden is not the President of the United States, but he is the beneficiary of a crooked election, ran this week. He got what some people in America described as an an ignominious rebuttal from the House Republicans. And the person who ran against him, Scalese, was also somebody, I believe, and you may correct me on this, who does not believe that Joe Biden is a legitimate president. Yeah, they try to fudge that now, but both Scalise and Jordan voted against certifying all the election results on the night of January the 6th when the hallways of the Capitol were still 
littered with uh, debris. Jim Jordan, I think, would generally be perceived as a notch or two even farther to the right than Steve Scalise. Uh, Jordan, as I speak to you now, has made uh, has had two votes aimed during the speakership, and both have failed. The not by most... many, Niall. I was struck no. fourteen. I think. I mean, does he needs two hundred and fourteen votes to become speaker? So two seven, two seventeen. Sorry, two seventeen. Yeah, forgive me. Yeah, you're fine. Yes, and he seems to got a lot of them, which mm-hmm. meant which must mean that a lot of hitherto moderate or centrist mm-hmm. Republicans voted for him. Yes, I mean, the vast bulk of the Republican conference did vote for him. They only have 221 members, and I I think one person was absent. So he got, uh, I I think, 200 votes. I'm going from memory here. 200 votes the first time and 199 the second. He actually lost a couple of people. A couple of people slipped away from him on the second round. Um, So he went down by two net votes, lost four and gained two. In any event, uh, the the point is that he is he does have the backing of the vast majority of the Republican conference, but because Democrats will naturally enough vote as a block for their own leader as Speaker, uh, that means that Jordan or any other Republican seeking to be Speaker can only afford to lose four votes yes. from their own ranks, and Jordan uh, lost approximately 20 both times. Yes, and it means that somebody who believes that Joe Biden is not, in fact, the constitutionally the president of the United States, who has been publicly supported by Donald Trump, who is, by any reasonable assessment, a, well, a very right-wing figure, is third in line for the presidency should he acquire speakership. Yes, and indeed, should he acquire the speakership, one of the most high-profile public engagements the speaker has, as you know, is to sit behind the President of the United States when the President delivers the State of the Union address. So it would be quite an image for uh, Jim Jordan to be sitting there behind President Biden the next time it falls to Biden to perform that task. But I think in the big picture terms, Eamon, this really does underline whether Jordan gets it or not, Uh, and it's looking that there may be a pause for a few months. They might extend the temporary speaker's tenure. But the fact that Jordan can get approximately 200 of approximately 220 does indicate, I think, how much more hard right the Republican uh, the Republicans in the House have become as a as a yes. body, and how much it has become uh, the party of Trump. What we term the Republican establishment is actually in retreat and has been in retreat yes. now for several years and has been overrun in some ways. Um, and you know, therefore, you have someone like Jim Jordan, who only a comparatively short time ago was considered a fairly fringy figure. Um, at least within uh, shouting distance of becoming third in line to the presidency. Yes, and he spoke to Donald Trump on January 6th in phone calls and was in touch with Trump during that awful day when a coup attempt almost succeeded. Which, if I remember correctly, Jim Jordan refused to testify yes. to, despite being subpoenaed um, yeah. to do so. And now that the shoe is on the other foot, he's very outraged when people on the Democratic side defy subpoenas to uh, appear at, at things that he's putting forward. He's now, we should say, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, which is yes. a very important committee, and has been very ardent in its pursuit of Hunter Biden, the president's son. Yes, and and that's fair enough because Hunter Biden has 
very, very serious questions indeed to answer before the courts and is due to appear before the courts. Let me ask you, Niall, about the, the mood in Washington in particular, the mood among, you, you said there that moderate Republicans were on the retreat. It does seem that Americans in general who are of a moderate disposition or even of a democratic disposition are, if not in retreat, they're certainly having to reflect about the nature of their country right now. It is embroiled in a Ukraine-Russia thing. It is now supporting an imminent invasion in which God knows how many thousands of innocent Gazans will die. There are, at the moment, and counting, 1,000 children who have died in Gaza. And that's a conservative figure from a source that is not Gazan. These are terrible deeds. And America, the America that once stood up to the Nazis, seems to be a much changed place. I think it's certainly a much more isolationist place and a much less willing to engage with the world at large. Now, obviously, its backing of Israel is an exception to that, and it regards Israel as an extremely close ally and sees Israel, I think, as a, as a bulwark against other um, yes. interests, particularly Iranian interests in the Middle East. That then, of course, exposes the United States to a lot of criticism and condemnation, not least because it is an extremely reliable defender of Israel at the United Nations, where you know the vast majority of other nations are uh, extremely critical of Israeli actions, uh, like the ones you're discussing. An awful lot rests now for the world, for the people of Gaza, of course, and the need for the United States, on the behavior and attitudes of Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, in the coming days. Today, standing beside the British Prime Minister, he said that this was the world's darkest hour. He talked about the Holocaust that he had just witnessed, which is October the 7th, and his Minister for Defence assured the Israeli troops that they would be in Gaza very soon. What I'm trying to get at now, forgive me, is is that sense, is the American public informed of the probabilities here right now, or is it up to Joe Biden in tonight's address to make those points, and will he make them, do you think? Is it politically possible to make them? I'm not sure that he will. The farthest we have heard Biden go in recent days in terms of restraint is to suggest that an Israeli occupation of Gaza would be a bad idea. He is not uh, morally or politically opposed, as far as I can make out, to an Israeli invasion of Gaza. He simply doesn't think that they should plant themselves there for the long haul. Um, yes. There, to, to the other part of your question, I mean, there, there's a much longer conversation we could have about media coverage of that conflict here. Yes, I was thinking of that. Yeah, I watch mm. CNN every night, and it's been deeply shocking in recent days. Yeah, I mean, I me. mean, the, yes, I mean, the, the criticism that I would have of a lot of media coverage here is that I think it, it just shears off any uh, historical or political context yes. to an extreme degree yes. and appears to view 
the voicing of that context yes. as suspicious or as a tacit sympathy with people going into Israel and uh, massacring kids at a, at a music festival, for example. Yes. Um, I don't think that serves the public particularly well. Uh, I don't know in a way what else to say about it than, no, than no, that. No, no, and yeah. I shouldn't have put you in a position to say anything about it because you're reporting for us, but the essence of your report, which I can testify to myself, is the bias in the CNN coverage, which is is very, very, very disturbing indeed because they had, they're trying to get themselves back on track, aren't they, mm. from where they were. A final question for now, just to give us some context. What is Fox News saying? Oh, it's, it's driving a very hard uh, pro-Israel line as it tends to do. Um, I mean, it, it has, I mean, it is more or less, I would say, uh, well, it is clearly and in a very pronounced way, uh, very sympathetic to the Israeli side. I mean, more so than any other major network. Um, I mean, there there are three. There's Fox, CNN, and MSNBC among the really major news networks here. Yes. And it is notable, I think, and this is, a, again, opening up another avenue to our conversation. The network that has been most open to, I would say, uh, a Palestinian point of view is MSNBC which yes. tends liberal, and um, its ratings have suffered a significant fall. Now, yes. we, I mean, before listeners no, to this jump down my throat and say, well, are you saying that people shouldn't tell the truth because it hurts ratings? I'm not saying that. I'm saying when you have media that is uh, has to make a profit to exist, yeah. and there is no equivalent to uh, a public, there is a, a very feeble public broadcaster here, the PBS, which nobody frankly no. really cares about. And so the intersection of commercial interests tends to produce news that tells people what they want to hear, and I think that's a shame. Yeah, I think PBS stands for public... Broadcasting service. Service, yeah. yeah. Which is what we actually should be doing. Final question. Now, Bernie Sanders is Jewish, mm -hmm. and I wonder what he has had to say. And AOC is, we would describe her as a liberal Democrat, articulate representative in Europe would be kind of just left of center views. Mm. They've both spoken, I think, AOC very critical of Biden. She's a very interesting woman who wouldn't have a hope in hell, I don't suppose, any day of being president of the United States, but she is something of a weather vane for young, moderate Democrats. Yeah, no, well, yeah, she of the left. I mean, here, here she's regarded as a left-winger, even though she'd fit very comfortably into the Irish or British Labour Party, I think. Yeah. But, but here she's considered uh, sort of, well, she identifies as a democratic socialist, yeah. which in American terms would be, you know, one step away <laughs> from a commie, basically. Um, yeah. But, uh, I mean, she, ha she and Sanders and other members of the so-called squad, which is what the cluster yes. of Congress people around AOC is known as, have been notably more critical of Israel and notably more sympathetic to the Palestinians. The squad in the House of Representatives includes uh, Ilan Omar, who's a uh, yes. refugee, who was a refugee from uh, Somalia, and uh, Rashida Tlaib, who has, a, I believe, either a grandmother, I think, who still lives in uh, 
the Palestinian territories. Um, they have been much more critical, but they are, I would say, a a small but impactful uh, dissenting collective voice. Okay, now as always, we're very very grateful to you for your report from Washington. I, I forgive me for sucking you into <laughs> not at all. something that you're, is not your business. My prejudice, as it were. Niall Stanage is Associate Editor of The Hill, hugely popular with our listeners, and we're very, very lucky to have such a great reporter reporting for The Stand, and we appreciate it. We appreciate you for listening, and thank you. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.